you would take your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 7, 8, and 9. I'm not going to read all that, but this is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be looking at these three chapters are kind of together. And as I was studying this, I kind of, kind of, kind of come to realize that, that I can't hardly do one chapter without delving into the other two. So we're going to kind of combine them. That doesn't mean the sermon's going to go an hour and a half. So I, and the amazing thing is, I only have one page of notes. I usually have at least three. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be just a half hour either. But uh, anyway, I'm going to read chapter 7, all 28 verses to get started. The title of the message this morning is Chosen to Intercede by Divine Appointment. Chosen to Intercede by Divine Appointment. Let's read Hebrews chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. That's, by the way, believed Salem is believed to be Jerusalem. So this would have been before Moses, during the days of Abraham. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily they that are of the sons of Levi, who received the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. Without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better." Here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them, of whom it is witness that he liveth. As I may say so, so say, Levi also, who received tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For as yet, he was yet in the loins of his father when Abacchilzedek met him. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there in any other priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe, which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. It is yet far more evident, for that after the similitude of Melchizedek there riseth another priest." who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. So we're talking about Aaron was after the law of a carnal commandment. That's the law of the Old Testament. The power of the endless life has to do with Christ in the New Testament. For he testifieth, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect. But the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest. For those priests, that is the Old Testament priests, were made without an oath. But this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. 
Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. That is, the priest of Aaron. But this man, that is Christ, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh a son who is consecrated forevermore. So again, the title of the message is Chosen to Intercede by Divine Appointment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to assemble together and to worship you and to open your word and to learn and grow. And I pray, Father, that you help us to give us understanding in the things concerning the priesthood and of Christ and the, the, the former and, and even our responsibility as believer priests in our day and time in which we are living. I pray that you give us understanding of these truths, help us to see the privilege and responsibility that is ours to point men and women to the Lord Jesus Christ and to intercede on their behalf uh, for their salvation. So, Lord, just just work on our hearts and give us understanding, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, last week we ended with the the mutability of the promise of God, and we talked a little bit, just mentioned the forerunner, uh, in verse 20, uh, is for us entered. In other words, the one has gone before us into heaven itself, assuring us that one day, because we belong to Christ, we also will enter heaven itself. And it said that he was made in high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I don't, don't want to spend a lot of time in this Melchizedek this morning. Uh, we know very little about this character named Melchizedek. There's some differing opinions as to exactly what or who he is, uh, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure. Uh, some believe he was a pre-incarnation appearance of Christ that appeared to Abraham, and uh, after his battle with the kings there and delivering Lot and all his household and so on, and, and, uh, and he came out and, and he blessed Abraham, and, and Abraham gave tithes to this Melchizedek. He was the priest called in the Old Testament Genesis 14 or Genesis 15, the priest of the Most High God. He was the king of Salem, which is Jerusalem, which also means king of peace. But anyway, uh, some believe he was a pre-incarnation appearance of Christ, which that's very possible. Uh, some believe that he was, he was a man of that time. But you know, it says he was without father, without mother, without descent, having neither end of days or beginning of days or end of life. It, it kind of gives me the impression that it was a pre-incarnation appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one that is eternal. We are not eternal. But be that as it may, he was a priest of God at that time, and, and, and he was a, considered a priest continually. And, and so this is, he's comparing Christ to this Old Testament uh, character, Melchizedek, as a priest continually or superior. Now, the key word in the book of Hebrews is better. 
the writer, whether it's the Apostle Paul, some believe it's somebody else, but I believe it's probably the Apostle Paul, is writing to the Hebrew Christians at Jerusalem saying, look, Jesus Christ is better than anyone in the Old Testament. He's better than, than the Aaronic priesthood. He's better than Moses. He's better than the prophets. He's better. He's superior. And you need to trust and rely on Him and receive His Word and, 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 and stop relying on the Old Covenant. And this is really what the book of Hebrews is about. And so, in this portion of Scripture, the Lord is directing us to consider that not just the superiority of Jesus Christ, our great high priest, but also that God uses, the other thing we see here is, that's brought out, God uses people in various ways to intercede or mediate on behalf of those who are without God. And we'll see this. Or who may need help in their walk with God. You know, and as we shall see, this is a common practice throughout both Old and New Testament. And it is how God works today. You know, God just doesn't write in the sky His message for those in places who have not heard. You know what He does? He puts it upon the hearts of like missionaries to take it. Men and women as instruments to take that gospel to those who haven't heard. He uses men. And we see this in the, both Old and New Testament. And these people were chosen to intercede by divine appointment. So I have three points this morning. First of all, the appointment of men to represent men before God. And then under that I have God has appointed us to intercede for others. And then, then we're going to see the superiority of the appointment of Christ. But first, first of all, the appointment of men to represent men before God. If you notice in verses 5 and verse 11 of chapter 7, it says this, And verily, they that are of the sons of Levi, that would be Aaron and, and the others, you know, Aaron was the high priest and his family, his descendants were the high priests, but the, the other sons of Levi also had jobs as, they weren't the high priests, but they were priests. Sort of like, you know, a church may have a pastor and assistant pastors. So they were priests. They took care of the different, uh, they had different responsibilities around the tabernacle. You know, maybe of, uh, of care, some had the responsibility of taking it down and carrying it. There were certain ones who had responsibilities of carrying the Ark of the Covenant and, and, you know, and the setting it up and, and, and the making of the showbread and, and all these things. And so, you know, the high priest didn't do all that. There were others that were given, uh, the family of Levi, given these responsibilities. So, so he's talking about the whole family here, who received the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is of their brethren, though they came out of the loins of Abraham. And then again in verse 11 it says, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what for the need was there of another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of of Aaron. So, so there was these appointed. These were, these were appointed by God. God chose Aaron. God chose the tribe of Levi uh, to serve him in the temple, or first in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. And so God, these were by divine appointment. And you know, though this appointment was inferior or flawed by weakness and infirmities, yet it still served God and as was a help to people was a help to people. In, in chapter 8 of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 8, verses 3 through 5, it says, 
for every high priest was ordained, or that he's appointed by God, to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God, when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that they'll make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the map. So he says that every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Uh, and, you know, and he did this on the behalf of others. In chapter 9, verses 1 through 10, it describes for us, the, again, the Aaronic priesthood, where it says in chapter 9, Then verily the first covenant, that be the Old Testament, had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. So it was a tabernacle on earth. There was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was a candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. So you had, you had two compartments in the, in, the, in the tabernacle. You had the, the, well, you had an outer court, and then you had the, 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 the first part, which, where, where the, uh, the, the altar of incense and the, and, and the uh, uh, showbread and table showbread and all that was. And then behind that curtain, that heavy curtain, was the holiest of all where the Ark of the Covenant was laid. And that curtain, that curtain there was what was rent from top to bottom when Jesus said it is finished. And so these were the apartments. And, and it says, which had the golden censer in the Ark of the Covenant overlaid with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had the manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. Over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, notice, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone, once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way in the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as yet the first tabernacle was yet standing which was a figure for the time then present in which the, were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make that which him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. All right, so you, you notice back there in verse 6, says, Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. So, you know, if you were in the nation of Israel at that time, and you were not a tribe of the Levite, and you had sinned, and you knew it, so you'd bring an offering to atone for your sin, and you'd give it to the priest who would slay it and burn it for you. You didn't do it yourself. You'd bring it to the priest. And the priest was to examine it. Because you weren't supposed to bring something that was lame, blind, you know, sick. It was supposed to be a sacrifice that was suitable, acceptable to God. You didn't give God the leftovers. And so they would bring it to the priest. And, and, and so he would intercede uh, on behalf of the Jewish people and present the, their offering on behalf of their sin. And then every year, the nation, as a nation, to atone for the, for the sins of the nation, the high priest Aaron himself would take the blood of a, of a bullock, I believe it was, and, and he, would, he would go into the holiest place, or that, that inner 
sanctuary, the holiest hall, where only the, the high priest was allowed to go. And so he would take there and put the blood, spring of the blood on the horns of the mercy seat to atone for his own sins and for the sins of the people. So what you see here is you have a man acting on behalf of men to bring them into a right relationship with God. And, and you know, this, this kind of thing was going on constantly. And, and, and one also thing that I, I've learned, and I never really thought about this or uh, understood this before, but in spite of, besides all this, every morning, every morning, every day, every morning, there was a lamb offered as a burnt offering. 24 7, 365 days of the year, there was a lamb offered every morning as a burnt offering. And then every evening, another lamb was offered. You know what that reminds us of? We need daily cleansing. We need daily cleansing. You know, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, if we say that we have not sinned. You know, we need daily cleansing. But you see, it was the priests who were, whose job it was, ordained by God, appointed by God, to offer these on behalf of the people, as well as their own sin. So these, we see these men... These men were appointed by God to represent men for Him. And so we see the appointment of the Levitical priesthood, but I want you to notice also about this the flaw or weakness of the Levitical priesthood. It was flawed in two ways. First of all, the law made nothing perfect. Look at chapter, or verse 18. Chapter 7, verse 18 and 19. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before, for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect. But the bringing in of a better hope did, by which also, by which we draw nigh unto God. So the law made nothing perfect. So, so all these animals and all these sacrifices under the law that were commanded by God to be brought in, they didn't make anybody perfect. They couldn't atone for sin. They could not take away sin. Chapter 9, verses 9 and 10 also says, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices, that they could not make him that did the service perfect, as pertaining to the conscience. As pertaining to the conscience. I mean, it, it, it satisfied to the purifying of the flesh, but it couldn't, it couldn't make you perfect pertaining to the conscience. Cleanse your conscience from dead works. You see, they were figures. And notice that verse 9 says, which was a figure for the time then present. They were only figures. They were types or pictures, if you will, of the sacrifice that was to come 
that would take away sin. You know, when we say it's a picture, a figure or a picture or a type, we mean it's, it's like a picture. You, know, you may have, you may have, and you know, if you if you walk in our door, front door in our house, there's a there's a wall there, a living room wall has family pictures on it. And you might say, well, there's Nathan. But is it Nathan? No, it's just a figure, a picture, a type of Nathan. But that's not really Nathan. It's just a picture. There's Nathan, you know. And and these these sacrifices were pictures of something that was to come. In fact, in chapter 10, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, but in chapter 10, verse 4, it said it's not possible that but a bull bulls and of goats should take away sin. In other words, they were only pictures. So the, so the weakness was here that these, these sacrifices were not perfect. They were flawed. They were only animals. And animals cannot atone for man's sin. Because we and animals, I'm sorry to, the, to, the, to, the, to animal rights people, but we and animals are not on the same level before God. We're not on the same level. We have a body, soul, and a spirit. We are made in the image of God. Animals do not have. They're not made in the image of God. They're not going to live forever. Like man is. They don't, they don't have consciousness of God like man does. <coughs> you see, we're not on the same plane. So animals cannot atone for our sin. They cannot. So, so this, this system was flawed because the law could not make anything perfect. second reason it was flawed is these priests were subject to death. In other words, they were sinners, just like everyone else. If you notice in verse, chapter 7, verse 8 again, it says, And here men that die receive tithes. So though the Levitical priesthood received tithes, of, of Aaron, and, and, and by the way, you know, our, our church, we receive tithes, and I benefit from that as a pastor, so you might say, I receive tithes of men, but I die too, I'm subject to death, just as Aaron was, and the priests were, they were sinners, verse 23, it says, and they truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death, verse 28, for the law maketh men high priests, which have infirmity, have infirmity. And then in chapter 9, verse 7, it, it says, But in the second, into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. So he had to take blood, not just for the heirs of the people, but also for his own sin. So, so under the Levitical priesthood, you had priests that were sinners just like the people, though they were appointed by God to mediate or intercede for men. Once you notice, secondly, God has appointed us, His disciples, to intercede for others. Now, this isn't really what the passage is speaking about, but there's, there's an application here for us, just as in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, you know, we, as God's children, have a responsibility for others. You know, God has always used men to speak and witness to men and women. 
and used men as instruments to bring others to himself. You know, just as Aaron interceded on behalf of the people of Israel, you know, we are chosen vessels to testify the saving grace of God to a lost and dying world. Now, we can't save them any more than Aaron could atone for the sins of the people. It was the blood that maketh the atonement. It wasn't Aaron. And we can't save them. But on behalf of our Lord, we can witness to them of His grace and His mercy. And He can save them. You see, so in that respect, we intercede. We mediate. That's our purpose here in this world. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 5 through 12. 1 Peter 2 says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. So we are, you know, he, he tells us here... Two times he uses terminology like a spiritual house and holy priesthood, a chosen people. You know, that, that means we're, a, we're an appointed, that word chosen generation there means we're appointed people for this time. We're an appointed people for this time. A holy priesthood or a royal priesthood speaks of a body of priests. So Christians are called because they have access to God and offer not external but spiritual sacrifices. So, God has appointed us, His children, His churches. You know, so what is our purpose here? We're to offer up spiritual sacrifices which are acceptable to God. That's what Peter says here in verse 5. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now, a sacrifice, the word sacrifice here, you know what it means? Victim. Victim. You know, and, and, and I believe it's defined here for us in this passage. Notice verse 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. So you can have a good, upright lifestyle before God and before man, and what will they will do? They will speak evil against you as evildoers. You become a victim. You become a victim. 
you, when you offer yourself up as a spiritual sacrifice, that means you're willing to become a victim of ill will, ridicule, persecution, or affliction for the cause of Christ. You're willing to do that. You're willing to be a witness for Christ, and you're willing to be victimized or accused of things that you're not guilty of. By the way, this was common. For much, most of church history, and still is common today. Still common. You know, the disciples continually put their lives at risk, willingly. You know, this is what it means to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Romans 12.1 Pleasing to God. You know, God can only use you to the degree you are yielded to Him. That is, to the point you're willing to be a victim for Him. Is that not what our Savior did for us? He became a victim for us. And as His representatives, which is what the title Christian really means, you know, we're little, the, word, the word Christian means little Christ or like Christ, it implies, which implies uh, that we will you know, be willing to be a victim like Him, which was how the disciples were viewed. They were viewed little Christ. Remember in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, when they brought them before the Sanhedrin, and they said they took knowledge of them, they had been with Jesus. These, these guys are acting just like Christ did. They remind us of Him, and we thought we put Him to death. We thought we were rid of Him. And, and though they could say nothing against them, you know, there, was, there was nothing bad that they could say about them and what was done in that, in that time when you know, they had just healed a, they just healed a man and, and you know, people were gathered around and, and, and Peter begins to preach to them and, and, and about Christ and, and you know, don't be amazed at this healing. You know, it's, it's through the risen Christ. And, and then that's when they arrested him. It, you know, it's like, how dare you preach in this man's name? And then it says they took knowledge of them. But the, the following verse says, though they case, could say nothing against them. In other words, they couldn't accuse them of a crime. They couldn't accuse them of a hate speech. They couldn't accuse them of anything wrongdoing. But yet they spoke evil of them. You may not do anything wrong. You may be trying to witness and trying to help a person to have a relationship with God or to further their relationship with God, and they may speak ill of you. See, to offer up spiritual sacrifices means we're willing to be the victim. We're willing to be accused. We're willing to be afflicted. You know, they threatened them. Later, they were beaten. Later, some of them were killed. You know, and this is the pattern we see in the New Testament. When persecution came, they didn't quit, they didn't quit preaching the gospel. They didn't quit offering up spiritual sacrifices. They just, they just, they just fled when, uh, when opportunity prevailed, uh, provided they would flee, and they'd go somewhere else and tell somebody else. <laughs> You 
You see, God has appointed us as his representatives in this time. You know, God used Peter and the apostles on the day of Pentecost. And thousands were saved. In Acts chapter 8, Philip goes to Samaria, preaches the gospel. The church is started. And then the Spirit tells him to go to down toward Gaza. And he comes upon a chariot. And an Ethiopian eunuch reading the Old Testament Scriptures. And the Spirit said, go join yourself to that chariot. And he runs over and joins the Senate. He said, understandest thou what thou readest? And this, you know, this was an educated man. He said, how can I accept some man? You know, people need men or women who know the truth, understand the truth, to give them the truth, to explain the truth to them. Because a natural man receiveth not things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Unsaved people can't just read the Bible and come to an understanding. They need some help from a man or a woman. That's us. You you Acts chapter 10. You have a Gentile, Cornelius, a Roman centurion. I'm sure he was an educated man, just like the eunuch. And no doubt he had heard some things about God. After all, you know, the crucifixion and the resurrection wasn't done in a corner. And what's going on in Jerusalem wasn't done in a corner. It was, it was, it was spreading all over the Roman Empire. So I'm sure he had heard some things about God, but he wants to know God. He wants to know his sins are forgiven. He wants to know he has peace with God. And isn't it interesting God directed him to a man? You send for Peter. And Peter and some others went with him. And you know, think about it. Peter was willing to be a victim in this situation. And I say, well, how? Well, number one, of his own people. Because Jews were not to go in unto Gentiles. That was a no-no. So Peter had to go against what he'd been taught all his life and possibly raise the, the air, and which it did. When he goes back to his home church and reports, he was, he was called on the carpet for this, for going to a Gentile to preach the gospel. But you know what? Peter was willing to be a victim. He was also willing to be a victim, possibly, of the Romans. He was going to go into the presence and preach the gospel, which is offensive, to a Roman centurion. That's a risk. He had no guarantee how this Roman centurion would respond. But see, that's the ministry. That's our purpose that God has given to us. In in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 20, 18 through 20, the Bible says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, the ministry of, of reconciling others to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world on himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So we have this word, it's, this ministry committed to us. Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ, as though God did receive you by us. We pray you in Christ that be you reconciled to God. So we, in, in this such manner, we serve as priests, as priests for God. But you say, we are flawed. We suffer weakness. That is true. That is true. But you know, there's a, a, another side to this. The fact that we are flawed, the fact that we have weaknesses, the fact that we are sinners can also demonstrate God's mercy to sinners. You know, it's hard to relate. You know, we, we can't, like I said, animals can't atone for man's sin. And, it, and it's a little difficult for us to relate to animals like we can relate to human beings because they're not on the same level. And sometimes people have a hard time relating to God because God isn't on the same level as them. But you know what? They can relate to us. And if they can see the mercy and grace of God in our lives, it gives them hope that, God can do the same in theirs. In fact, that's what Hebrews 5, verses 1 and 2, teaches us. For every high priest taken from among men was ordained for men and things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin, who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way, for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. See, you, you can understand a person's infirmity because you have infirmities of your own. And you can understand how God can help a person in his infirmity because you have, God has helped your, you in your own infirmity and weakness. You know, the fact that God has made us righteous through the blood of Christ demonstrates to the world that God can forgive their sin if they will repent and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. Of course, the other side, the negative side of that is we can be a stumbling block if we show pride and give the impression that we are sufficient in ourselves. You know, despite our weakness, I want you to think about this fact. Do you ever think about the fact that more people got saved after Jesus ascended back to heaven than there did before he went to heaven? In other words, more people got saved under the ministry of Peter and the apostles than got saved under the pastoring of Jesus himself. In fact, Jesus said to the disciples in John 14, 12, Greater works shall ye do. Greater works shall ye do. He said, After I'm gone, greater works shall ye do, that your Father may be glorified. In other words, you're going to do greater works than I did. And there were a much greater number of people saved after Jesus returned to heaven than when he was on earth. See, God uses men. We are his priests. Now, I want you to notice thirdly, and I must hurry. The superiority of, our, of Christ, our high priest. You know, he is the only high priest 
He is the only high priest of those who are saved, and it is we who are privileged to bring the lost to our Savior and priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'll notice several things about him. Number one, the superiority of him, when we think about him, he continueth ever. In other words, he will never need a replacement. Chapter 7, verse 24 and 25 again. Chapter 7, verse 24 and 25 says, But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. See, See, Aaron died and Eliezer took his place. Eliezer died and, and, and Phineas took his place. And Phineas died and his son took his place. You know, they didn't continue. And you and I don't continue. You know, we are believer priests and we can help and bring people, but we're going to die. But not our high priests. We have a high priest that will continue forever. He's eternal. He's not after the order of Aaron where they died. He's after the order of Melchizedek who had neither beginning of days nor end of life. Second thing, as we consider his superiority, his priesthood is established on a better covenant. Notice chapter 7, verse 18 and 19. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect. Because of the weakness of the Old Testament covenant, or the law, it's, it's, it's done away with. But the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which will we draw nigh unto God. Chapter 8 and verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. So Levitical... The sacrifice of the Levitical covenant or the system, again, were only figures and animals cannot atone for sin. They're only types, they're only pictures of the one who would come and fulfill them. So once we have the fulfillment, there's no need of the old covenant. We have a better one. And that better one is established on a sinless high priest who offered himself. Look at chapter 7, verse 26. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than heavens, who needeth not daily as those, in other words, the Old Testament priests, as those high priests to offer up spiritual sacrifices first for his own sins. So he didn't need to offer up any sacrifice for his own sins and then for the people's. No, this he did once. In other words, he offered up himself for the sins of the people. Not for his own sins. And that Aaron, you know, every year he'd have to go into that holy place again. When Eliezer became the priest, every year he had to go into that holy place again. But when Christ offered himself, it was once for all. Once forever. Once forever. He is, a, he is a priest consecrated forevermore, verse 28 says. Chapter 9, verse 14 and 15. Again, he says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first, in other words, the Old Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. You know, it means that Jesus 
died for the Old Testament saints too. They look forward. They look for the fulfillment. We look back to it. They look forward to it. You know, he had no sin of his own, but he took ours. He took the penalty for our evil communication, our cursing, our pride, and our arrogance. He took the punishment for our idolatry, for our whoredoms, for our immorality and thought and deed, for our self-righteousness, for our offenses against God and man. He took it all. Isaiah 53.5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. 1 Peter 2.21 For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in the steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. And then chapter 3 and verse 18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. You know, verse John 3, 5 says, And you know, He was manifested to take away. Take away our sins. And in Him is no sins. You know, the key difference between the Old Testament covenant and the New Testament covenant is this word, take away. Take away. You see, in chapter 8 and verse 12 of Hebrews, again, it says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. But see, under the Old Testament, every year they were remembered again. Aaron had to go into that holy place again. Every year, it was remembered every year. But now he says, Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. No more. See, the Old Testament saint brought him a sacrifice of sin. He would have to bring it again next year. And the year after that. And the year after that. Because the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. But John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Taketh away. The song says, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. You see, the superiority of Jesus Christ is He'll continue forever. He's our priest forever. It's a better covenant. And he is a sinless high priest. And by the sacrifice of himself, 
He not just, he didn't cover our sin. He took it away. He took it away. There be no more, you know, when you receive Christ as Jesus, as your Lord and Savior, there will not be a remembrance of your sin again before God. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. You know, and just as John had the privilege of pointing men and women to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. We too have that privilege. We have that privilege. You know, we must say as John, he must increase. I must decrease. You know, one of the things they say when you're trying to lead somebody to the Lord, you need to first win them to yourself. In other words, you, need, you, need, you do. You need to win their confidence in you. Their trust. They need to have some trust and confidence in you. But you need to work at transferring that trust and that confidence to Jesus Christ. See, John gathered disciples. But when he saw the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, he pointed his disciples and he said, Look, you need to transfer your confidence and your trust from me to him. He's the Savior. You know, we need to win their confidence, their trust, but we can't save them. And so we need to transfer that trust and that confidence to them. No, they will still, hopefully they'll still be your friend. But we need to transfer that trust and confidence to them. He, we must decrease. He must increase. And what a, what, a, what a privilege we have to direct people to rely on the Lord Jesus Christ for their redemption and for their faith to walk in Him. You see, we have a divine appointment. We've been divinely appointed as a holy priesthood, a peculiar people, a chosen generation. We are an appointed people for this time to testify, to witness of the grace of God through our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. You know, are you trusting in Him as your Lord and Savior? You know, there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Without Christ, you're lost. Are you faithfully representing Him, interceding or serving the Lord by endeavoring to bring others to your witness and testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ who can save them from their sins? That's our responsibility. Might we be faithful as his priests to bring people to him.